Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode four of the Duke Blue Central podcast. And yes, folks, it's been a while. It's been a while since I jumped on uh, to enjoy some conversation with you great Duke fans. Apologies for the long gap in between podcasts. Been getting pretty busy for me lately here in my personal life. Um, but still feeling out how often to do this podcast, uh, but apologies for the long break. Hopefully we won't have any breaks that long as we get closer and closer to basketball season starting, which is where the uh, the bulk of this podcast content stems from. Although, I'll tell you, I didn't have on my bingo card this year being this pumped up to watch some Duke football games on Saturdays like I have been this season. going to talk about some of their awesome, awesome wins later in the show. But overall, again, thank you so much for listening. Appreciate all of you listening, all the nice comments, all the kind words over on Twitter at Duke Blue Central. Thank you guys for for chiming in there. And yeah, let's get into this episode, episode four. So I kind of wanted to sit down and just go over some updates that have been happening within the Duke program throughout this past couple weeks. We might go uh, most recent to, I guess, least recent we're going to start out with a, a commitment, a Duke basketball commitment that really surprised a lot of Duke fans and a lot of even the Duke reporters and the the Duke recruiting guys who who know all about Duke recruits. I think this one came out of left field, but Con Knipple, I think it's Knipple Knipple. That's how show, that shows you how little I know about this kid. <laughs> he he committed to Duke over the past couple days. Five star recruit, very very exciting kid to watch haven't done fully the research on him again because i think it was i felt like it was set in stone he was going to go to another another school but no he committed to duke over the past few days a very exciting recruit to have and and when i was preparing some research to talk about this kid a couple things jump off jump off the sheet for you he's a big kid tall lanky kid but the number one thing that stands out about about Khan is his shooting ability. I think I read a stat on 247 that said in the last spring he shot about 47% from three. So we're talking about an insanely, insanely good shooter here coming out of high school. Shoots the ball as an extremely high clip. I've listened to a lot of other podcasts, Duke podcasts and shows and YouTube videos about this kid. And they've got nothing but high marks for the guy. They, they're really excited about next year's team, especially, and this is a great point, but when you can, when you run with, run him with alongside Darren Harris, who is another 2024 Duke recruit, you're looking at Duke potentially having the best two shooters in this upcoming recruiting class, both headed to the same school. That is going to be an explosive, explosive combo to, uh, to pair with, with one other massive recruit that's still out there, but I believe is pretty strongly linked to Duke, which is one Cooper flag. I think this is the plan from John Shire is to surround him with as many great shooters as we can. I think that's going to be an, a crazy good strategy to watch, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I can't imagine a team with uh, Cooper flag dishing it out to uh, the two top shooters in the class. And uh, that leads me into another thing. And another great thing about this kid's commitment is we also don't know who is going to stay from this year's team. Uh, a lot of people are predicting both McCain and Foster coming back. Uh, let's just say, you know, let's just say by some miracle McCain, plays awesome but doesn't play his way out of college in one year comes back to Duke a second year imagine a lineup where it's 
McCain, Harris, and Knuppel on the same team. Uh, those are three just absolutely lights out three point shooters that. You know, nothing is for sure. No recruitment is for sure. But I think a lot of Duke fans feel really good about Cooper Flagg's chances to be at Duke next year. Uh, imagining a lineup where we've got McCain, Harris, and Knippel on the floor at one time, put the ball in Flagg's hands, let him drive, and kick out to any of those guys. I feel awesome about our chances there with that next year's team with the shooting ability and with hopefully landing that Cooper flag commitment soon. Yeah. Again, this was a really surprise commitment for a lot of Duke fans. A lot of the guys I follow on Twitter didn't see this coming when Duke posted the, the classic, another one video. I, I had no idea who it was. I thought there was a small chance it was referring to Cooper flag, but I know he had just visited Yukon right before. So started to laugh as if you know flag was going to commit days after his yukon uh, trip but it, it was a cooper flag not just yet it was con and uh, really excited about that anytime you can land a recruit like this that you really didn't feel like you had a chance to get just makes it all that more exciting i remember exactly where i was when zion committed to duke because you know that was one of those races where everybody thought it was clemson i think I can't remember exactly what the percentages were on that. I think it was about 85% he was committing to Clemson. You know, he's from South Carolina. He was committing right after a Clemson game. It just lined up perfectly. And and even if it wasn't Clemson, most people would have told you it was another school. And then all of a sudden, yeah, he, he pulls the Duke hat out, of the, out under the table and, you know, theories begin to spin and, you know, really shook up the college basketball world then. And we didn't even know how good he was going to be then. And boy, did he continue to shock the college basketball world that, that following season at Duke. Exciting year, but, you know, I'm not saying uh, Khan is going to be as good as Zion, but this recruit, this uh, commitment does kind of come out of nowhere, kind of like that one did. Um, so excited to have him, excited to have him come into the squad next year. Uh, need to do some more research on this guy. Need to watch some more film on this guy. He looks like a Virginia lock. I think that's where most people pegged him as going I'd say most people thought he was going to Virginia but even after that I think Alabama was a big school was a big school that was going after them and and any school like Alabama with the football program that they have is going to be able to pay a lot of NIL money which is why I think you're seeing some of these football schools really make an impact in in recruiting and basketball and I do think it's a challenge that that Duke is going to have to overcome at least well who knows maybe our our football program or we'll get just as high as our basketball program here in just a couple of years. But, but at least for now we're uh, where Duke football is not pulling in the money that Alabama football is. I, I do think it's going to be a challenge for them in the future, just uh, with the amount of money that these other schools are going to be able to pay uh, for Duke to keep up. It's going to be interesting to watch. I do think there's a lot to be said for guys wanting to play at Duke where they feel like their chances are if you go to Duke your chances of success in the NBA I just feel like drastically go up I think you know there are other schools out there who can say the same as certainly as much as I dislike Kentucky they can also make a claim that look if you go to our school your chances at the next level to succeed go up and Duke is one of those places so I feel like that outweighs any NIL money you can offer a kid, but I, I'm not going to deny, you know, if you're 18 coming out of high school and one school's offering you, <laughs> you know, 50 grand more than another school, that's a, a ton of money for you at that age. So 
you know, it could even get into the, the millions more. I, I, we don't even really know what those NIL numbers are. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Duke recruits in the future with those. But, no, he, he, he turned down the bag from Alabama to come play at Duke. Right decision, Con. We welcome you into the Duke Brotherhood. It, it is going to be an exciting to watch him play. To me, this just screams classic John Shire recruit for the future. I, I, I think just this reeks of exactly the type of guy that Shire wants to go after. I, I, I think he's... You know, we're st- obviously we're still going after the big names. You know, Cooper Flag is has been the most hyped Duke offer recruit for however many years. You know, but we're still going after some of those guys. But we've seen John really stress. I think this year's recruiting class is a perfect example of that. We've seen John really stress going after those kind of fifteen to twenty ranked guys that are five stars, maybe on some sites border four stars but that have a chance to stay for a sophomore season. I think that's totally realistic to expect that Khan is going to stay for his sophomore season. A lot of the scouting reports that I've read on him don't have him pegged as a first round or maybe even a draft pick in the, in the following year's NBA draft. And this is just the, the, the example prospect that I think Duke is going after for the future. These kind of 10 to 20 guys, 15 to 20 guys that are great, have a lot of potential, maybe not as talented immediately as those top guys, but guys that uh, we really think can stick around for a second year. I think Khan will stick around for uh, two years or more. You know, always you'd love to see them just ultra perform in their freshman year and maybe have a chance to go, but selfishly, I hope that he's staying for more than one year. And I think that's probably it. Probably the expectation is that he's at least a two-year player at Duke. You know, I, I think a lot of our recruits moving forward were were kind of planning on them to stay that one extra year and then leave. Uh, you know, this year, I think Proctor, Mitchell, Flip all have the expectation that they're going to be leaving at the end of the year. Um, and I think maybe they even knew that coming into it last year, um, that, you know, these were going to be two-year players and then you head out. I think Khan uh, could have this have, have a similar mindset going into uh, going into his college career at Duke. But yeah, this just reeks John Shire recruiting to me. Um, I, I think he's the perfect guy to to fit our system. Excited to watch him play. Yeah, so that's kind of all I got on Khan. Need to do more research on the kid. To be honest, I don't know. I I had to look him up when he committed. I I, I, f- I fancy myself as a guy who's who's semi up to date with Duke recruiting. But man, this one this one just shocked everybody. Uh, but that's exciting, exciting to hear that. So uh, the next topic I kind of want to talk about on this episode is the uh, the ACC realignment. You know, conference realignment has been something that's been talked to to death over these past few weeks, with the Pac-12 essentially disappearing overnight. Schools joining the Big Ten, schools joining the ACC. But yeah, and <laughs> I case you haven't heard it's hard to believe if you hadn't ACC did add three schools to its to its roster starting next year they added Cal Stanford and SMU so I guess you know everybody's saying we're the all-coast conference now instead of the Atlantic coast Uh, yeah Cal Stanford SMU those are the three new ACC schools uh, that we picked up Um, it's going to be interesting to watch them function within the ACC. You know, everybody's got a different take on this. I've listened to so many podcasts and YouTube videos and and just sports media personalities takes on all this conference realignment and it's impossible to 
really get down to what's the right decision to make here. I mean, there's just so many factors that we don't know about, so many big money decisions that schools have to make. But I thought Shire, John Shire made a good point on the, the Brotherhood podcast, actually. Take a listen to that if you haven't, hosted by Ryan Young. Great stuff there. He interviewed Coach Shire and asked him about this, and I thought he had a great response to it And that, look, whatever your opinion is about conference realignment is standing still was was not the move to make Uh, those aren't his exact words but that was the point he was making standing still is not the point not the move to make and I I totally agree with that I don't know how I feel about Cal Stanford and SMU joining the ACC you don't really mind it as much for football I know you know these football programs get treated really well you know they're flying charter flights and everything I'm more concerned about sports like basketball and then your other sports, your, you know, your nonprofit sports, your swimming, your gymnastics. I know nobody talks about those as much in college athletics, but uh, those are important to, uh, to colleges. And it, it's going to be interesting to see how those guys travel across country way more often than they are now. And this really hurts. Everybody's talking about it from, you know, a Duke perspective, a, a Carolina perspective and things like that. The, the schools that this is toughest on is Cal Stanford and SMU, you know, Duke is going to have to go over there. You know, they can probably schedule it where, you know, you play Cal St- Cal and Stanford in consecutive weeks. You can maybe stay over there the whole time. The schools that are really going to struggle with this are, are the three new schools. They're the ones that are going to have to constantly be flying over to the East Coast, staying over there and and, and playing all their games there. Have no idea what this is going to look like from a, an athletic student perspective. I, this has the potential to really hurt some of the some of the guys academic standings and nobody likes to talk about that in college sports but most of these guys aren't going to go on to play at the next level certainly when you're talking about football and other sports so them getting their degree is is a really important aspect while they're there in college and it's going to be really interesting to see how this how this helps or hurts the ACC's academic standards that they seem to really really want to have you know all these schools are are really good academic schools so you can see kind of why they went after him. But it, it's going to be fascinating to see. I, I think another factor in this, too, is, and these are takes that have all listened. An, another good podcast that I listened to to kind of help form my opinion on this was the uh, the DBR, Duke Basketball Roundup podcast. I highly recommend you listen to those guys. They're great. I, I try to catch every episode they put out. But they made a good point on there that the ACC right now has a TV deal with ESPN. And I believe in one of the parameters of the deal is that there needs to be, I think, 14 teams in the conference. So, you know, if you wake up one day and Carolina and Florida State and Clemson want to leave, you're in drastic danger of dipping below that 14-team mark. And then all of a sudden you lose your TV deal, which cuts a massive amount of money going to the ACC and that's essentially what happened to the Pac-12 is they lost a certain number of schools which got them booted out of their TV deal which lost them a ton of money eventually to the point where they didn't feel like they could continue as a conference so I think the ACC sees that and says hey if nothing else let's get these schools in here as a backup in case these other schools leave so that ESPN has to honor their current contract with the ACC. And and when you look at it like that, I I just think they're, 
they had to add some schools and and whether you like Cal SMU and Stanford a lot I just think standing still and doing nothing wasn't the right play here at least take a shot see what these schools can do for the ACC another thing I've heard is that SMU essentially was free to add like I don't think they're taking any of the TV money because they're kind of getting upgraded into the ACC I, I think as part of that deal the ACC has to pay them almost nothing and and they're you know getting more security with their ESPN TV deal so that probably a good financial move right off the bat for the ACC but there's so many takes on this who knows where conference lean not realignment is going to lead you know are we heading towards two super conferences where it's the Big 10 and the SEC and that's it personally I'll tell you what I'd love to see now this is never going to happen because basketball just doesn't make near the amounts of money that football does if you look at the numbers are staggering on that I I know you know here at Duke you know we're Duke basketball podcast so we love Duke basketball more than just about any other sport but more than any other sport but the amount of money that college football makes is just is just astronomical even when compared with something as popular as Duke basketball um so that's where the money is but what I'd love to see, I'd love to see the ACC just go all in on basketball and add like UConn and Villanova and just <laughs> just kind of admit that we're not a football conference, at least right now, and just go full out basketball. Can you imagine those the, like conference games against UConn and Villanova? Like, and they kind of fit the model of an ACC school. You know, they're more, they're, they're East Coast and good academic schools. Like, man, the... I can't imagine like a better fit when it would come to basketball than adding those two schools to the conference. Just it, man, it would just it drastically change the ACC basketball landscape. I, I would just love to see that personally. But yeah, I mean that's so pretty far fetched from happening. Uh, I, I don't think uh, the ACC is willing to just sell out and go a uh, full basketball conference. Uh, although personally. Uh, for my viewing pleasure, that's what I would like to see. So there are a ton of takes out there on conference realignment and what it's going to mean for everybody. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of my take on it. I, I just don't think standing still I, – I don't think the ACC can afford to just add nobody. So I think this was just a move to just get some schools, get some high-quality schools, it, and especially when you look at other sports too. Other than football and basketball, no, no, once again, nobody likes to talk about those. But when you look at Olympic level sports, you know, Cal and Stanford are, are, are I think, the two probably most elite schools when you talk about Olympic athletes and things like that. Like that's a big deal. I, I know it's it's not a big money maker for school, but schools. But I don't know about you guys, but I really enjoy watching the Olympics. And as much as Team USA can dominate, that's who I root for. So. So it was important that that these schools didn't get left behind in the dust with all this conference realignment. So in that sense, I'm really happy to see Cal and Stanford in the ACC. But yeah, once again, I think the ACC had to make a move. This was a move to get some academic, high academic value schools that are pretty good all around in athletics and a move to further secure their, their ESPN TV deal. Yeah, and last but not least big topic on this episode I want to cover is just the recap of Duke football season. I I didn't think I'd be sitting here talking about Duke football. I knew they were going to be pretty good this year. I felt like they had a chance to be preseason ranked going into the year. That didn't happen. Probably should have happened looking back on it now, but kind of a recap of their year. 
and of course, super late to this party, but of course it started out with their massive win against Clemson at home at Wade Wallace Stadium. Just an insane game. I like I listened on the radio. I was coming back from a from a road trip for the first part of the game, listening to it on the radio, and then about mid probably midway through the first half, I got home and was able to watch the rest of the game on the TV, but even just listening to, to it on the radio, the atmosphere you could just tell was so electric in the stadium. And and I just I'm going to be honest here, just as a as a maybe pessimistic fan sometimes when uh, I think it was Calhoun muffed the punt and uh, Clemson was able to score. I was almost ready to give up on the game then. I was I'll, I'll freely admit that. You know, I, I'm more optimistic now, thank goodness. But, but gosh, it's just when you give up a play like that to a team like Clemson, you know, they were ranked number nine at the point. This is a top 10 preseason team we're talking about. And you give up a muff punt that turns into a touchdown, you just feel like this is going to be a game where Duke is like plays really hard, but that one mistake just comes back to bite you and you lose the game. And little did I know that was the only points that Clemson was going to score the entire game. Such an insane, it just felt like every time Clemson had something going fumble or interception or blocked kick. Uh, and, and, you know, part of that is on Clemson just messing up and giving the game away. But I think uh, a huge part of that is credit to the Duke defense. And that's been, that's been, apparent for the rest of the season as well this duke defense is for real the duke defensive line is for real able to get pressure the duke secondary cornerbacks safeties are awesome interceptions galore back there just incredible job of mike elko getting this getting this defense ready for this season and then you go on the offensive side of the ball and you know everybody talks about and it's to his credit. Everybody talks about Riley Leonard, and everybody talks about Waters too, the, the starting running back for the Blue Devils. Those guys are, 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 I think, are, you know, everybody expected Riley Leonard to be great this year, but especially Waters, I think, has have, had a great start to the season. He is, to me, one of the best running backs that I've watched in all of college football to start this season. I, I've really enjoyed watching him run, but I really think the difference maker on that Duke offensive side of the ball is the the offensive line man they have just been they've been awesome you know Clemson of course Clemson the type of recruits that they're they get they're gonna have a good D line you know they're gonna get studs rushing five star guys rushing off the edge and yeah they were able to pressure Riley Leonard a, a fair amount but man the, the Duke offensive line has just held up in every game and even that one they held up but in every game since then it has just been. They have been dialed in, and our quarterbacks have just had plenty of time, plenty of time to throw. I say quarterbacks because you know there have been there was one game in there where we put in the backup, and he went seven for seven, had about 150 yards and seven throws, and looked awesome doing it. By the way, I can't remember the kid's name at at the moment, but man, I'm I'm excited to watch him play next year. They were saying on the broadcast that. Uh, the coaching staff feels that he even might have a better pure throwing arm than Riley Leonard does. And I could see it out there, man. You know, Leonard's electric in so many other ways, so obviously he's the starter. But this backup, man, this backup special, I don't think Duke's going anywhere next year with him at the helm. It's going to be fun to watch him. He was making some throws out there that I don't see Riley make. 
But yeah, the, the Duke offensive line, I don't think can get enough praise. Uh, and they are old. I think all of them are graduate students except one who's a senior. Uh, not often do you have a, a group of players where where a senior is the youngin out there with the rest of them. So it's been awesome to watch the line. They just bully everyone that they've played so far. And uh, again, this this leads us to now. Maybe is it crazy to say that this weekend's game could potentially be the like the biggest one of the biggest games in Duke football history with uh, college game day coming into town. First time ever in Durham. I mean, who would have thought? We're sitting here. We're gonna see game day at Durham. You know, Lee Corsa. Lee Corsa's already picking Duke. By the way, there, there's no way. There's no way he's picking the Irish. I'm, I'm telling you right now. On Saturday morning, when we tune in, he's gonna have that Blue Devil head on. Uh, before the end of the before the end of the evening, he will have that Blue Devil head on. I I, I feel so strongly. I feel like he's gonna pick Duke in this. Just just to get the fans, and the, they've never been to Durham. That's going to be so exciting to watch. But I I can't believe Duke is getting a game day. I mean, that's I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, and it's not when you actually look at the players on the field and the guys who play the game. But it's a huge deal for marketing and, and exposure. Like, this is a massive opportunity for the Duke fans to show out. I'm hearing that the game is already sold out. It should be the most electric game that Wade Wallace has ever seen. There should be people there from the morning at game day. I know that there will. The crazies will be out there. But just an awesome time for Duke football to be in the spotlight of college football for the week. It's the best game that's going on that weekend. I I can't even – I think the only other ranked matchup, I think Ole Miss is playing somebody. I can't, I can't remember who at the moment. But but other than that, you know, this Duke-Notre Dame game is the biggest game of the day. And I even think it trumps whoever Ole Miss is playing. We're talking about a Notre Dame team who, heartbreaking loss to Ohio State, by the way. I, I got to watch almost the whole second half of that game. And, man, they had it wrapped up, I thought. And, just heartbreaking loss to Ohio State. We're talking about Ohio State, top four team in the nation probably. They just got put at four, I think, by the AP poll. We're talking about a Notre Dame team that went toe-to-toe with them that is now going to be coming into Duke to play them in the next following game. I just could not be more pumped for this game. It, it, it One of the biggest games this football program ever has ever seen. Uh, with game day coming into town and just the matchup itself. You're talking about an undefeated Duke team, uh, ranked 17 in the AP poll this week. And, man, I'll tell you, don't let us beat Notre Dame on Saturday. Do not let us beat Notre Dame on Saturday. If we beat Notre Dame in the maybe the biggest game, in pro- it's already a win. I, I'm already chalking this game up as a win whatever happens on the field because it's just the exposure Duke football is getting and the respect that we're getting as a program compared to the previous years and the praise that Mike Elko is getting after just two years of being at this program, being at this school. This is already a win for Duke football just to have this game happen in the way that it's happening. But man, don't let us come out and win that game because you are not going to hear the end of it from Duke fans, uh, myself included. I Man, I... I am so hyped about the potential of us uh, walking away with a win against Notre Dame. I mean, when at what point, if we walk out and beat Notre Dame, at what point do we start talking about, like, is this, I mean, do we get in the top 10? Is this Duke football team a top 10 school uh, in the nation? 
And then you go on, you look at the rest of their schedule, a couple of other big games coming up. Then you look on saying, hey, maybe we can go in and beat Florida State. Maybe we can go in, and I think we already have a shot against Carolina, but maybe we can go in and beat Carolina. You, I mean, the, you start talking about an ACC title for this team in, in, in Mike Elko's second year under the helm, it, it just, oh, man. A lot of implications for this weekend's game. Everybody tune into that. I think it's a 7.30 game to night game. I mean, this is the game that college football fans are going to be watching this weekend. And we had the same thing against Clemson with it happening on a Monday. Every fan of college football was watching that game. And I think it's going to be similar this weekend against Notre Dame. Hey, we won the first big primetime matchup of the year. Let's hope Duke can walk away with the second. I, I feel okay about our chances. It's, it's hard to say. I think... Notre Dame is better than Clemson, but I'm going to be honest. I still don't think Clemson is a bad team. I, I know they 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 lost again this weekend against this past weekend against Florida State. I still don't think this Clemson team is just awful. I, I think they're not as good as they were in previous years, and I think their big problem has been a lack of just superstars at the wide receiver position and really the quarterback position as well. Even though I, I don't hate Klubnik, but He's not a superstar that they've had in previous years. And again, I don't think they have that. Other than Shipley, who is a phenomenal player, and even the backup running back, Mafa, they don't have superstar weapons at the receiver position and the tight end position, slot receiver position that they have had in previous years. But this team is still a good team. Uh, and, you know, Duke, we beat them 28-7. to uh, So I feel okay about our chances at Notre Dame. Big thing, obviously, you know, everybody's going to be talking about Hartman versus Leonard. Sam Hartman versus Riley Leonard. What a great quarterback battle. It, man, going to be an exciting game. I kind of don't know what to predict, what to go, what to think going into it. I don't think Duke has played a team that compares to the level of talent we're going to see with Notre Dame. We've kind of had blowout wins, you know, even when you think about 28 to 7. I mean, Duke has kind of had blowout wins in all of their games this season. So, I definitely we're going to see going to I definitely think we're going to see the the closest Duke football matchup of the year. But, man, I don't know what to think going into it. I know Notre Dame will be the favorite, but, man, don't count us out. And if Duke wins that game, we really start to talk about how good this team can be this year. You know, can we contend for an ACC title this year? Which is, I thought we were going to be good, but I was telling everybody preseason about Duke football is like even I, – I think – there was a potential we could have a better team than last year's team and still have a worse record just because of the absolutely brutal schedule we had. Uh, I mean, last year we got a lot of layups and softies um, and came out to a really good record at the end. But this year there were, there were not a lot of easy games on that schedule, especially now that we're getting into conference play and everything. It's a grueling schedule, and it's a tough schedule after this too. I mean, even if you walk away with this game, still a lot of tough games on the schedule. But – but, man, I, you couldn't be happier as a Duke football fan of, of where you're at right now. You know, you feeling like you got a real shot at taking out this Notre Dame team who's ranked as high as nine last week. Man, what a time to be a Duke football fan. What a time to be a Duke fan overall. But, yeah, okay, it's been great. Uh, it's been great talking with you guys. Thanks so much for your patience. Sorry once again for the long gap in between episodes. Um, I think next episode we're going to get back to uh, purely Duke basketball. I recently took put, took part in an article um, from the Duke Wisdom Network. Shout out to Duke Wisdom, by the way. 
uh, big fan of the of him over there. Uh, I get um, I get the privilege of uh, being a part of their network uh, and their network of writers. Haven't put out an article yet, but uh, hopefully we can get into that soon as well. But had the had the uh, the privilege of participating in, in kind of a survey for for him and that website. Check it out if you haven't. Uh, just search Duke Wisdom up on uh, up on Twitter. You'll find it linked there. Of where uh, you know me and several other Duke writers and I guess uh, social media guys. Uh, ranked the top 15, the ranked every player on Duke's basketball's roster this upcoming year and kind of averaged them into one conglomerate score. I'd love to go over my personal rankings with you and then compare them to to other people's rankings to see kind of uh, where I land compared to everyone else uh, on thinking of, you know, which players are going to be best for this upcoming basketball season. Yeah, I feel like I was pretty in the norm, pretty in the average answers, but there were some, some outliers there where, you know, I had some some disagreements with some of the rankings. So, so I'll be. I think next episode we're going to go over that. But I wanted to break it up a little bit. Been talking a lot about next year's team, next year's roster. Wanted to break it up with this episode. Talk a little bit well, about recruiting, conference realignment, and uh, Duke football. So yeah, it's been a great episode with you guys. Appreciate you all for listening. Thanks for tuning in so much to Duke Blue Central episode four. You can find me on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't bother me. Just search uh, Duke Blue Central on there. Uh, If you want to help out this show, uh, the best thing you can do is give it a rating and maybe give it a share to uh, someone you think would like listening to all things Duke basketball. I guess Duke football today too, but (laughs) thanks so much for listening. Appreciate every single one of you. And last but not least, go Blue Devils.